Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. It is groundwork for the metaphysics of morals, which is a preparatory work. Immanuel Kant is going to give us three different formulations of the categorical imperative, or at least that's what he says that he's doing. The first two formulations are pretty straightforward. He provides us with a lot of interesting examples, a good bit of discussion of those. There's not a lot of controversy about precisely what the formulations are, although they can be translated in slightly different ways, depending on the text you're using. When it comes to the third formulation, it's a little bit looser as to consensus about exactly what Kant is calling the third formulation. A little bit later on in the text, when he talks about the three different modes of presenting what he calls the principle of morality, he does does give us a formulation in terms of the kingdom of ends. He says that all maxims ought to, by their own legislation, harmonize with a possible kingdom of ends as with a kingdom of nature. And, and we'll come back to that notion of the kingdom of ends in a bit. But earlier on in the text, he talks in terms of the third practical principle. That is the principle for practically reasoning, for practical reason determining what what it is that our duty is, and by contrast to that, what our duty is not, what we shouldn't be doing, or where, you know, things are sort of in the middle. And he's contrasting this with the other two, and he talks here about the idea of the will of every rational being as a universally legislative will. And you might say, well, what does that actually mean? First off, we want to reiterate, as with all of the things that we're talking about here in the groundwork, that this is not meant to be something that's an empirical generalization. This is meant to be something that we actually arrive at through practical reasoning, not by having experience of this sort of thing. This is something that we can conceive of even though perhaps it has never existed. So every rational being, the will of that rational being, for whoever it happens to be, would be a universally legislative will. What does this mean? This is going to have to do with the motives or in some, if you want to think about it this way, the lack of what we normally think of as motives for the actual willing that's going to take place. Like Kant is going to tell us, a will of this sort cannot depend upon any interests. And if we think about, as he points out, why it is that we regard certain things to be our duty and why we make ourselves or will for ourselves to actually do those things. And you might think about, let's take an example. It's often easier if we do that. Think about the duty. You make a promise to somebody. You should follow through on that promise. You should do what it is that you said that you were going to do. Now, why should you do it? Well, you could come up with all sorts of motives by which you're making that will, those could be turned into what Kant calls maxims, right? So think about you make a promise to somebody, why should you follow through on your promise? Because otherwise you might hurt their feelings and you really don't like to hurt people's feelings because that makes you feel bad. Well, that would be an interest. 
or you shouldn't break the promise because then people won't trust you or because you're going to lose some money or because if you do that, perhaps it'll lower your status in social media, or we could go on and on and on with all sorts of interesting possibilities. But any of those things that fall into the domain of interest, even if they're large scale interests, like, well, I should follow through on my promise because my entire country is depending upon me and I don't want to let them down unless you can general, not generalize it, universalize it, right? To turn it into a universally legislative will taking out any interests. It's not going to be what we're looking for here. Kant calls this the principle of autonomy. That is nothing else is making you decide other than the sheer fact that it is indeed your duty. You recognize it as so you recognize that it's rational to fulfill duty, departing from or setting aside any interests that you might have. Of course, this doesn't mean that any existing empirical being won't have a whole bunch of interests going on, but Kant does think that it's possible for us to, in some cases, put those aside and will in a universally legislative way. That would be for everybody. We would say, not only is this the right thing for me to do in these circumstances, this is the right thing for anybody placed in these circumstances to do, regardless of what their background is, regardless of who they're connected to, regardless of whatever interests or motives or inclinations, desires, all these other things that can't contrasts against pure duty. Now I mentioned that we would come to talk about a kingdom of ends because Kant does in fact frame this in terms of the kingdom of ends. And so many people in talking about the third formulation of the categorical imperative are going to focus primarily on that. He talks about this immediately after talking about the principle of autonomy. And he says in a kingdom, what do we have? We have a union of different rational beings. And that union is carried out by a system of common laws. Now this may not actually exist. This is a possible kingdom of ends. This is a way of understanding things by which we are treating everybody along the lines of the second categorical imperative as ends. When a person is treating him or herself as an end, that means that they actually decide for themselves in an autonomous fashion. They do not subordinate their will to other partial considerations. Now, if we also think about how we treat other people as ends and how they treat us as ends rather than as mere means for whatever it happens to be, their satisfaction, their honor, their life plan, something along those lines, we have eventually this notion of a kingdom of ends, a kingdom in which everybody is, you might say, living according to the same system of rules that every single one of them can get behind because as he says in a kingdom of ends like this, the rational being gives and is also subject to these universal laws. So every single member of the kingdom of ends both gives these laws because they're a rational being and they see that these laws really make sense. They exclude things that we have to exclude that are say logically incoherent and they also are subject to those laws. They also follow them. 
So, you know, it could be that in, in an empirical fashion, there actually is a government who enacts laws and you follow the laws that they have, not because it's the government and you need to follow them so you're not scared and, you know, anything like that, but because you recognize in what they're doing as something like a prefiguration or a symbol or whatever you want to call it of this possibility of an entire kingdom of ends in which everybody is in fact treated as possessing human dignity or the highest degree of value as opposed to being treated as mere ends. So he will go on and a little bit later say that we should act that the will could at the same time regard itself as giving its maxims universal laws. If now the maximums of rational beings are not by their own nature coincident with this, then the, the necessity of acting on it is practical necess necessitation or duty. This is what we have to do in real circumstances. And by doing so, we are getting a little bit closer. We are perhaps even taking a concrete step towards something like the kingdom events, which may in fact never be empirically realized. But this does provide us eventually, he says, with this maxim that all maxims ought by their own legislation to harmonize with a possible kingdom of ends. Whatever I choose for myself, I'm not only choosing sort of universally the way the first formulation said, I'm not only, you know, trying to do things in such a way that I don't treat other people as mere means, but I'm doing this on a global scale, you might say. So if we understand it this way, this categorical imperative, the third formulation of it, is really bringing the other two together in a way that makes them, you might say, even more universal than what we've been talking about in relation to the other two. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.